Amen. It's good to be together again. If uh, Again, if you're new, uh, we just really want to welcome you. I know it takes courage coming to a new place. And, and tonight, I, I want to start with something that we never do. And so if you're new, like, we never do this. Uh, and if, if you've been here a while, you're like, we've never done this. Uh, so here's, remember last week we ended uh, the challenge to memorize James 1.19. And some of you are like, well, we're supposed to do that? Yeah. Uh, like, we kind of issued this challenge to say, hey, this is a big deal. And we started this whole brand new series about just how do, we, how do we use our speech? How do we use our words? What does the scriptures have to say about wisdom and how we speak? Because we live in a culture that is so verbose and has so many words over us, at us, and words that we use. And yet, so, so, so often, um, they're just not wise. And they're not helpful. And there's so many ways that words go sideways. And so uh, any bold person willing to say, hey, I, I memorized that verse. Anyone? Like I've told you, we never do this. So if, if, you're, if you're ready, like I want you to stand up. Like this is totally bold. So like I see Ange is like in her seat kind of moving, but I don't know if like I'm not calling you out or anything. I'm just saying if that's you, it may be a blessing if you give this an attempt. I'm just saying. There may be a blessing in this. I, I don't know. Anyone? Nobody. Okay. Is someone over there? Okay. All right. All right. Are you willing to do it? Someone standing. Okay. All right. You ready? Give it a go. So there you go, you nailed it. <clears throat> How do you like Jesus chicken? <laughs> so Chick-fil-A, I don't know if it's really Jesus chicken, but uh, I'm going to give that to you. I should preach from out here. This is actually kind of fun. So stop it, stop it. <laughs> um, this verse we challenge to say, hey, memorize this. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, meaning sit up, pay attention, like put this in your head, like deep down in the resources of you. Everyone should be, remember we kind of had this little thing, quick to listen, slow whoa, 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 to speak, and slow to become angry. Here's the challenge. I know sometimes when preachers say, hey, I want you to memorize this verse, it's like, oh, that'd be cool. That'd be awesome if I did that. Like, with every bit of, like, I'm not a mean dude, but with every kind of force in me, just picture your dad right now, like, saying, you got to do this, okay? Like, if you ever want to drive the car again, you got to do this. So I'm challenging you, please, for your good and our good, Memorize this. Now, I know you may think I'm being overly dramatic, and I am, but I'm going to get more dramatic. Friends, I am becoming convinced that the church, which is you, me, it's not the building, it's us, we have failed at this. And when we fail at this, we lose our credibility and we lose influence 
and the ability to speak on behalf of and for God and for his good in the world because we're so quick to talk and we're slow to listen and we get riled up real quick and I'm just, I'm pleading with us. How cool would it be to be a part of a group of men and women who said, I'm not going to just memorize this. I'm going to internalize this. You know who's going to win when you do that? Your family. Your family's going to win when you internalize this. Your relationships will win when you internalize this. Your witness for Jesus will win when you internalize this and it becomes just a rhythm of how you live. That's what we said. This is a whole new rhythm. This is not the rhythm of the world. The world is completely opposite of this. And so I'm, I may be melodramatic, but I'm trying to be because I want us to be able to look back two or three years from now and this becomes the norm of how we communicate and how the world begins to interact and communicate with God's people. That, my friends, would make a radical difference. And it would sway people, open people up to be open to maybe what Jesus has to say about life. So, what's your challenge this week? Memorize James 1.19. It's the second go around. I'm not saying you may get Jesus chicken next week but I'm not saying you're not, okay? So it's a challenge for us, okay? Let's do it together. Let's, let's work on this the whole way through this series. Now, uh, how many of you talk? Seven of you, perfect. Um, every single one of us talks, right? We all use words. Here's a dangerous question. Who talks more, men or women? Ooh, wow, he went there. Um, it's, it's fascinating to think about. Please don't answer out loud because you might get an elbow. Um, there's a, a director of the San Francisco Women's Mood and Hormone Clinic. That's a long name. Uh, and she wrote a book called The Female Brain in 2006. One of the most cited gems from the pages there was that the average woman spoke 20,000 words per day, nearly three times more than the 7,000 that men spoke. Now, what's interesting is you hear that stat and you go, is that really right? No. Um, it was a stat that was kind of made up, she threw out there. In fact, it got some psychology departments around the country arguing and kind of debating, is that really true? And so there was a, a professor at the University of Texas in Austin and a university professor here at the University of Arizona, Bear Down. Rough game last night, but that's okay, we're moving on. Uh, but this idea of, of saying, hey, we gotta really research this and find this out because that seems like an odd statistic. And so they began to estimate if people were awake 17 out of 24 hours and they got kind of groups of people put together and they began to study this and, and assess it. And, and here's what they found. Men showed slightly uh, wider variability with the usage of their words that they uttered from the most economical speaker at 500 words a day. How many of you work next to that person? Like they never say anything. They'll email you to tell you something, but they won't talk to you. Um, maybe that's you. Or the most verbose one of a gentleman who spoke 47,000 words a day. I don't know how they studied me, but uh, 
in the end, the sexes came out to about the same. Here's what they came to. Total averages, daily averages of women, about 16,215 words. Men, about 15,669 words. A really statistical difference that's nothing to even sneeze at from a, a science perspective to say it's too close to call. It's actually pretty equal of what we speak. The reality is we all use words. We all use them equally, but listen. Our words are not equally weighted. Our words are not equally weighted. And in fact, some of the words from people around you carry a weight to them that, uh, that you and I know this to be true. And we begin to see it around us. We rarely forget a negative word. In fact, if it was just you and me and we could sit and have coffee somewhere and, and there's ambient music playing and we could actually just talk about life my hunch is some of you, if you were honest, would be able to say, you know, there's some words that have been circling around inside of me for 10, 20, maybe even 30 years that I wish I could get rid of. I wish I could erase that tape. And yet there's moments where that tape gets triggered and those words come back and you're in a totally different season of life and a totally different stage, totally different place, and yet some of those words mark you. And it's like this traveling buddy that goes with you and it's not a buddy who's a friend. And for others of you, there's words that have been spoken into us from an encouragement standpoint that we love and we hold dear and we hang on to them. But isn't it true that it, it almost feels like it takes so many more of those words to outweigh some of the negative words that are spoken in our direction? We, we tend to quickly more forget those and those, those heavy words that come at us. They're like this Velcro, this static cling that stings to us uh, and sticks to us in a way. Words are not equally weighted. The source of where those words come from are not equal as well. The, a random person in the crowd can shout something at me, even derogatory or negative, and, and I can blow it off because I don't know them. But someone who's a family friend, someone who's close or who I admire and who's with me, and they could say something, and it just sticks and, and it clings and it, and it travels with me. Bosses' words weigh more than coworkers. Coaches' words weigh more than just mere acquaintances. Family, friends, their words weigh more than just the local store clerk that I happen to see three or four times a week stopping in. Moms, your words weigh 500 pounds. Be careful how you leverage them. Listen, dads, I don't know why this is true, but your words weigh the most. So be careful because your words are not equally weighted. And there's something about the way we speak and the way we use words that, and so often we feel like they're a throwaway, but so often they're not, because they come with this weight that takes us to places. And so we understand as people who use words, 
we've got to get thinking about this. And so today we're kind of wrapping, uh, kind of running back into the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go there, or you can open up the app and go to sermon notes and follow along there. All the stuff, notes and scriptures are, are, are there. But we're looking at the book of James. We started there last week, obviously, James 1.19 and through 21. And tonight we're kind of looking at James chapter 3, and it's verses 1 through 12. I'm going to cut to the end and just tell you, he's going to tell you this whole section is about taming your tongue. It's what you'll see in the heading there. And here's the, the clue, here's the cliff note version, you can't. Now let's unpack that a little bit because that's what James is kind of driving to and what he's kind of trying to get us to see is that you and I are among friends and no matter, we can tame a lot of different things and a lot of animals have domesticated but your tongue cannot be. And James is writing. Now remember, who wrote this? James. And who is James? He's the brother of Jesus. And so again, if you are kind of new to church and coming back to church, man, I think it's a great series to tap into because I think it's just wisdom for life and wisdom to help you in relationships. But I'm telling you, you kind of get to know James because James wasn't part of Jesus's story really growing up. In a lot of ways, Jesus was saying, I'm the Messiah, and James was like, you're my brother, no way. Uh, and maybe you have siblings and you get it. You know, there's no way that you're kind of living in a shadow. And yet something happened in James's life that suddenly he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem where everything unfolded, and he gives his life and martyrdom for his Savior, Jesus. What happened? That he would go from skeptic to one who is leading the very church. The resurrection happened. And when your brother says, I'm the Messiah, and then you watch him die, and then three days later you eat breakfast with him on the beach, everything changes in that moment. And so if you're a skeptic, I just want you to sit with that for a minute. That, that someone was on the same journey that maybe you were on or you were kind of investigating who Jesus is, I just want to tell you, keep investigating, because that's what happened to James. And he becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church who's following after not just his brother, but his savior, Jesus. And he's writing wisdom to them to say, look, here's how to live this life of faith, following after Jesus. And in portions of this letter, he's saying, look, it, it matters about your words. And they have a weight to them. You've got to learn some wisdom about them. So we looked at that last week. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. And he's saying, look, there's this new rhythm you've got to live by. And, and today he's beginning to unpack a little bit more. And he starts in verse 1 of chapter 3. And he says, look, not many of you should want to be teachers because we're held to a higher standard. And he says, this is a challenge. And then he makes this incredibly bold statement that I think we all can get. Here's what he says, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Preach, James. We do. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is what? What's it say? Is perfect. Anyone here perfect, willing to admit it? Yeah, I think we're all like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I'm, not, I'm good, but I'm not perfect. Um, James is saying, no, no, if you're able to keep your tongue in check and you're never at fault in what you say, then you are perfect. Able to keep your whole body in check. And now James is going to unpack that with some practical examples as he walks you through this tension, this reality, this, this challenge that's there, and he makes this incredibly powerful statement, and then he begins to illustrate it. Uh, verse 3, he says this, 
When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Meaning it's this small little thing that we do in a horse. Anyone ever ridden a horse before? I remember taking my, my youngest daughter out to a person who had, uh, a family friend who had a horse and seeing her up there on this horse that, you know, a you know, 1,500 pound animal and she's like 60 pounds wet, right? And she's steering this horse and having it go around the corral and making it stop and making it turn left and turn right. And I'm looking at this going, this doesn't match. This animal can eat you. If it falls on you, it's crushing you. And yet here you are, sweet little princess, moving it all around. And James is saying, look, your, your tongue is like this. It's like this wild beast. Your life is like this. And yet when we keep your tongue in check, we can actually steer our lives and control our lives in a way that's much, much better. He goes on, he says, look, it's like the ship's example. And he says, although the ship are so large and they're driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. So don't think like Carnival Cruise, though that's still the premise there, but think first and century ships with sails, and the wind is powerful and it's moving it, and yet the pilot, the, the captain is able to say with this little rudder, I'm going to steer it left, I'm going to steer it right, I'm going to make it move to my will. I'm going to take it in the direction that it needs to go. And this little rudder is able to influence the direction and the destination of that boat and that ship in the journey that it's on. And the principle is glaringly clear. Small part, big influence. Small part, big influence. That's what James is saying. In fact, he says it here in verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes incredibly great boast. It's such a small thing, and yet it does such powerful things. And it can be to harshness and negative, and it can also be positive. It has such power to it, and yet it's so small. I want you to think about your tongue right now, kind of moving around in your mouth. I know it's weird, but you're talking four or five inches of a tongue. Do you know your tongue has eight muscles? And those muscles are the only muscles in your entire body that never grow tired. Did you think about that? Every other muscle you work out gets strained and gets tired. But you use the muscles of your tongue to use your words and create speech. And you can be like the verbose male speaker of 47,000 words and going strong. They don't wear out. They don't get tired. There's power in them. You think about this. The tongue is such a small part of your body and is a small part of mine, and yet it has huge influence over your life. It controls the direction and the destiny and the quality and the future of your very life by the words that we speak. And so, James, what do we do about it? He goes, no, no, no. Don't do anything yet. It gets worse. He goes on, verse 5, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of your body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. Whoa, James. It's a kind of a heavy example. But we think about it. How many of you know about the fires that are going on in California right now, right? Small spark. 
and yet vast damage. It's, it's hard to measure. In the first and second century when this is written, you think about, okay, they could see a fire on a hillside, but they really couldn't see the entire scope of a fire today with helicopters and drones. We can see the full extent of the damage and the vastness of what's uh, kind of being scorched up and burned because we have an aerial view. We have a, a different perspective to see. And, and even in the first and second century, James is writing, look, small spark can create this vast amount of damage. And you've watched it happen. And you, it's like he's holding up a lighter in this moment saying, small spark, big damage. You've seen fires. The tongue also is this fire. And the words that we have have such a potential for evil, such a potential for damage and harm, and yet they can also be used for good. We'll look at more of that next week. But he's kind of camping out on the negative side and the damage effect and the harm that can come from such a small thing, a small spark that can create vast damage. Divorce can be initiated with just a few words. And the journey begins to go. Abuse can begin to take shape and gain traction from just a few words that people say. Murder can become initiated simply by the words that we begin to use, or wars have been started by just a few words. Small spark, vast damage, and this impact. And the reality is every single one of us is born with our pilot light lit. That's what James is saying. You and I come into this world with this small part that has big influence, and our pilot light is lit. And if we're not careful, a small spark can begin to have great damage. And when you live with that, our tongue, our words are, are, can get the whole person in trouble, right? How many of you, your words have gotten you in trouble before? And your whole body suffered? Right? And it wasn't just the words, it wasn't just your tongue that goes. Your parents, when your child mouths off to you, you don't just put the mouth in time out, right? The whole body goes in timeout. You don't fire a mouth, you fire the whole person with the words that are spoken. You don't expel the mouth, the whole body gets suspended from school. And so our mouths begin to say, look, there's, they begin to determine the direction and the destiny and the future of our very lives, and our whole body becomes affected and impacted by it. And if it's a small spark that can have vast influence and damage to it, listen, when you start a fire, you don't get to say, I didn't mean it. It was an accident. You don't get to say, look, I'm just being, I'm stressed and I'm tired, or we're just defending ourselves or we're just trying to call it like we see it. Or it was an accident what I said. Small spark, big fire. When you start a fire and you begin to scorch and burn the people around you, you don't get to claim ignorance. It just happens. And we're all responsible for it. And we have to own it. We have to say, that was me. I have to take responsibility for that. He goes on, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. That doesn't mean your tongue goes to hell. Okay, that's not what he's saying. He's speaking in this allegory. He's speaking about this idea that have you ever said something and then wondered out loud in yourself, like, where did that come from? James is trying to tell you where it's coming from. From the pit of hell. 
And this is the moment where Jesus would tap us on the shoulders as followers of him and say, whoa, 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 <laughs> did you hear that? That tells me there's some stuff down here that we got to work on. And that is going to ruin your life if you don't let me begin to bring my grace to heal that. And for some of you, listen, for all of us, there's stuff that's deep down that if we don't do the hard work of mourning that and seeking God's healing in that and letting his grace empower us to move forward from that, then that just becomes your traveling buddy and at the worst possible moments, it just gets triggered and it begins to have an impact and you know this to be true because you've seen it in people around you. Now let's get personal. You know this to be true because you've seen it in the person in the mirror. And the challenge, what James is saying is, look, you gotta understand this. So James, what's the hope? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? He goes, no, 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 I'm not done yet. Verse seven, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. <sighs> Thanks, James. That's encouraging. Uh, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? No, you know, he's saying, look, tame doesn't mean domesticated. It means subdued. Like, all kinds of animals around the, the world have been subdued, okay? Like, mankind is not being overrun by animals. I've seen the Planet of the Apes movies. A little bit concerned, but I think we're going to be okay. Like, we've not been overrun. But he's saying, like, all those things have been tamed, but the human tongue can never be tamed. James, that's heavy. Like, okay, like you're, you're drilling down and then you drill down a little bit more and then you drill down a little bit more. So like, what's the answer? What's the hope? What's the application? He goes, no, 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 I'm not done. Verse eight, no human being can tame the tongue. You're not able to get it fully uncontrolled. Well, thanks, James. What are we supposed to do about it? No, no, no. Your tongue will never be fully domesticated. There will always be an unpredictable nature to your tongue and to your words. You have to know, just read on. Verse 9, he says, with the tongue, we praise the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in the image of God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Meaning we can come into church and we can sing praises and songs to our Heavenly Father. We can praise his name and then we can leave church and at dinner or the next day, lounging on the couch, suddenly words come out of our mouths that scorch and burn the ones that we love. And James is drilling down even deeper and he says this should not be. Whoo. Words are weighty. Do you feel heavy a little bit? Here's the hope. You ready? It's the next verse. He just changes the subject. What? James. What? The, the end? Like, roll the credits? What? what uh, James, what are we... What are, 
Like, you're, I don't know if you know much about this teaching thing, but like you're supposed to give people handles and like some uh, like application to put into practice because like this is bad news. And James is like, yeah. And I'm not as bold as James. Because right now I could pray and we could be done. Because that's what he did. So I'll give us a little something. But I think this is the point. I think the point of this is James is trying to say, see, it matters. See, it's important. Take note of this. The rhythm from chapter one, everyone should be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become. See how I'm helping you memorize this? Okay, perfect, you're doing a great job. He's saying, look, I want you to have this rhythm in life, and now I'm going to tell you about taming the tongue. It's impossible. Now let me talk to you about wisdom. What? Like, James, just give us something. You're supposed to not, like, just hit the brakes from 45 to zero. Like, you're supposed to, like, roll to the stop, right, and and give us some wisdom, some insight, and I think the point is simply this. There is no one-time decision or one-time choice or one-time action that solves this tension with your words. Andy Stanley said years ago, it stuck with me, he says it all the time, there are problems to solve and there are tensions that you must manage. And you cannot solve a tension. Your tongue, your words, my tongue, my words are not a math problem. They're not just, okay, this, this, and this, and then we're done. I don't have to worry about it anymore. No, no, what he's saying is this is a tension from your very first word you ever spoke until the very last word that you'll ever speak. You will live in this tension of what you do with your words because it's a small part of who you are and it has incredible influence and it's a tension you must learn to manage and you don't get a pass from it and you don't solve it and get over it and never have to worry about it again. It is, there, there is no one time you reach this place in life and this season of life and then you're done. He's saying no. It's not when you learn this trick or this, this tidbit or, or this wisdom, then you're done. It's not when you mature to this level, then you're done. He's saying well, you're never done. You're never done. This is something you have to wrestle with. From, from the moment of your first word to your last word, you will have to be one who is determined to say, I will guard my tongue because it will drive the direction and the quality of my family and my life and my relationships and my future, and it will influence every aspect of it. James's point is to make us understand and to grasp the, uh, the weight and the gravity of our words, our tongue, small part, big influence. So let me give you just three words to wrestle with as you begin to try to figure out how do you guard your tongue. First one is this, recognize. Recognize the power you have in your words. The power to do good, the power to do harm. We'll spend a lot more time looking at the good and how to leverage that next week. But James is trying to drive home. There is power in your words to do good or to do evil, to do harm and to do damage. You are born with your pilot light lit, so be cautious, especially when your emotions get ramped up. 
You have got to be on your guard. Recognize the power you have. James 1.19. Everyone, it's an all skate, no one's excluded, should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. James is telling us, here's the wisdom you need. The second word is this, surrender. Surrender your weapon. Surrender the weapon of your words to God for him to grow and wield in the best way possible and to do good and not to cause harm. A scalpel in the hands of a surgeon is a beautiful thing and can help and bring healing and hope to people. A scalpel in my hands, you're doomed. Like, you're like you don't want me anywhere near you with that. And that's kind of what James is saying. Look, you got to be on guard all the time. Surrender your weapon. Let God be the user of your words. I love this verse, Romans 12:1. We talk a lot about worship here, and worship, yes, is singing, but worship is so much more than that. It's the way we live our life for God. Romans 12:1 says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, there's that word again, brothers and sisters, everyone's included, in view of God's mercy, meaning in view of everything Jesus has done for us, I urge you to present your body every part of your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your act of worship. This is how you worship. Monday through Sunday, and on Sunday night, you throw in a few songs. And maybe you have a playlist you listen to, but this is how you worship. It's how you leverage. And so maybe a simple prayer for us to be thinking about throughout the week is, God, I give you my hands. I want to do what you want me to do with them. I give you my feet. I want to go where you want me to go. I give you my ears. I want to hear like you hear the world around me. I give you my eyes. I want to see what's best for me. I want to see the best in people, and I give you my words to influence those around me for good and toward your best and in your direction. And so you begin to surrender, and so begin to live out this prayer. Uh, The third word here is just simple, confess. Recognize, surrender, and confess. It's not if you mess up, it is when we mess up. When you mess up, fess up. When we get something out of skew and we end up using our words to do harm and damage, then own it. And, And not generically, but own it specifically and say, I did that, and I'm sorry that I said that because I realize now that did harm. You know it to be true, and I know it to be true. We most of the time recognize it in the moment or a split second afterwards. And so begin to recognize that and begin to say, here, I wanna leverage my words for the best. Here's the simple takeaway for today. Your mouth, my mouth, cannot be tamed. It can only be guarded. Your mouth, your words, your tongue cannot be tamed. That's what James is saying. It's the untamable thing, but it can be guarded. We need to be people who guard our words and begin to guard our understanding. Proverbs 21, 23 says this, the, the one who guards his mouth or guards her mouth and their tongue keeps themselves from much trouble. We can be people who guard our tongue. You remember the phrase, the little acronym, what would Jesus do, WWJD? Remember those bracelets? I want you to begin to think WWJS. What would Jesus say? And ask Jesus to set a warden over your words that the bad words don't escape. They keep locked up. 
and yet the words that breathe hope and life and grace and even challenge. This isn't about not challenging. This isn't about not being truthful and calling people on things, but it's about the way we do it and the way we leverage our words. See, our words cannot be tamed. They can only be guarded. And so would you just kind of pray with me to that end? We want to get better at this. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm raising my hand. I want to get better at this. I need to get better at this. And I don't think I'm alone in that. What if our culture, what if we just got better at this? Think about the impact, the ripple effect that would have to the people in your workplace, the people in your neighborhood, the people that you rub shoulders with. That if you actually became a person who was quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry and that you began to use your words, you were guarded with what you shared and what you said and you were able to breathe life into people as Jesus did. That's what blows my mind about Jesus. His words, the way he spoke to people, he spoke life into people. And people who are nothing like Jesus actually loved Jesus because of the way he spoke. And he didn't hold punches, but the way he did it. And so, Father, we want to get better like Jesus, like your son. Father, for so many of us, there's some words that went unguarded, that were spoken in our direction, that were like an arrow straight to our heart. And it penetrated and it broke us in a lot of ways. And we don't talk about it, and we try to bury it, and we try to move on past it. And, and in some ways that is healthy, but in a lot of ways we end up just covering dirt over it instead of digging it up and saying, God, would you heal this? So Jesus, would you allow your words, the words you speak into us as followers of you as children, your children, Jesus, would you speak words of life into those who have broken places? Would you allow your words of hope and grace and healing to breathe new, invigorating life into those spaces and those places in our hearts. God, would you teach us that this is a tension that won't go away. We're not going to solve this, but we can get better at managing. We can get better at guarding our words, guarding our tongue. Jesus, would you help us with that? We thank you again as we take a moment to remember your life and your death, most importantly, your resurrection, that gives us the power to say we can walk forward. And our past doesn't have to determine everything about us because you can write a new future with us. So as we take communion, we remember your body broken, your blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, the healing of our soul that we might be made right with you relationally and that we might be empowered by your spirit to walk after Jesus and to live more and more like him. Father, tonight we pray. We don't want to just memorize a verse. We want to have a new pattern of how we speak. 
And we want to be that as your church that would leverage your voice of hope to the culture in which we live in our here and now. We want to get this right, God. So would you help us be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry? Would you help us understand and recognize the power of our words to surrender that, to confess when we need to, and to guard our tongues? Jesus, we need you. We need you. 